At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. We stay the course. We are dead. We are all dead. We're supposed to make the world a better place. What I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! I know Kung Fu. You either die a hero, or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! This whole thing is insane! This whole thing is insane! 300 years ago, you'd have been burned at the stake. What do all men with power want? More power. This is now the United States of zombie land. This whole thing is insane! Man is even capable of nothing but destruction! Everybody is stuck with the things that they're not proud of. More power. Welcome to the desert of the real. More power. There can be only one. Are you a God-fearing man, Senator? It's such a strange phrase. I've always thought of God as a teacher, as a bringer of light, wisdom, and understanding. You see, I think what you really are afraid of is me. Happy hair season. Welcome to the desert of the real. Heresy shouldn't be this much fun, but it is. It just is. Especially with the latest AB Live. Audio version for thee in this eternal now. The Gerardian hypothesis argues that all cultures, civilizations, and religions are founded on a holy violence, typically focused on a scapegoat. This violence must be reenacted or relived throughout time, a cleansing ritual where the sins or shadow of a society is placed on a deified victim. Often religions and governments hide the original scapegoat with romantic myths or sterilized narratives. Could the idea of the quote, sacred scapegoat be today's cancel culture? An unattended collective shadow or overlooked sin? From Jesus to Balder, from Azazel to Dionysus, let's find out more. Robert M. Price materialize at the Virtual Alexandria to discuss this and so much more. And thank you to those of you who support this Red Pill Cafeteria. You are amazing and your support, company, and feedback help grow this podcast. This episode is for everyone as I feel the themes are so crucial for any healing today. Beyond the ideas we cover in the interview, I recommend reading or watching as much history as possible. Like Mark Twain said, history doesn't repeat, but it certainly rhymes. Everything that is occurring today has a cognate in the past. 
nothing new under the sun. We are experiencing recycle conscious and unconscious historical waves as we speak. You are unique, but your situation is not, and the Archons have always been unoriginal writers. Next week, the Archon unoriginality continues as we deal with Skull and Bones, American Saturn, and the endless oligarch plan of endless slavery, addiction, and suppression of freedom. Don't go anywhere, as history keeps rhyming. We need Gnosis more than ever in this age of Hermes, Philip K. Dick world and Gnostic times. Expect more shootings, wars, addiction and suicide problems, mass depression and societal collapse until more look inward while breaking the outward spell of hating angels. You won't find this high quality Gnostic and Hermetic wisdom or many of my guests and their unique insights anywhere else in cyberspace or even meat space. Don't forget my voiceover availability for any podcast, commercial, audiobook, documentary, or whatever. I'll bring you stellar results with down-to-home professionalism. Other than that, let us to our latest AB Live. Write your own gospel, live your own myth. defined as public anxiety or alarm in response to a perceived threat to the moral standards of society. The road to moral panic has several stops. The first is concern. This concern limited at first, spreads from person to person. Amplified by cultural forces. Until rational concern becomes irrational fear. People come to believe something terrible is happening. Something they cannot see. That they can't control. It has come for others. It will come for them. Whether or not the threat is real. The response certainly is. And it is often excessive. Ask yourself, what's more terrifying? Fear? the frightened welcome everybody to ab live and yes indeed we are here to 
Find those Gnostic secrets. Why are there 43 species of parrots? Why do men have nipples? Uh, this is the great Gnostic thrust for thousands of years. I personally want to know why uh, cause was never the reason for the evening in the Tropic of Sir Galahad. So I've been wondering about this for most of my life, but that's where you come to AB Live for the higher great questions of this universe. And somebody who's always been a great friend of the Gnostics and exploring these important questions is my friend Robert Price. Bob, how are you? And thank you very much for coming on the show again. Well, I'm uh, doing great and I'm, I'm delighted to be part of it again. Great. Yes. Always nice to have you on. And uh, with us, too, we've got the Moondog Vance. Vance, how art thou? I'm doing okay. I'm ready to take on the role of the scapegoat if necessary. <laughs> you are the one. <laughs> At the end of the show, we're going to have to sacrifice you, man. Yeah. Well, what do you want? But Nathan Lee will be there. Help me. Yeah. There you go. And yes, we've got Nathan Lee, the occult fan. Nate, how are you in the desert of the real? I'm very uh, happy to be here. And uh, hopefully we can, you know, get a mop and bucket for the blood afterwards because uh, them goat sacrifices be messy. <laughs> yes, indeed. So, Bob, just out of curiosity, uh, are you a Peter Sellers fan? Ever watched The Party or any of his movies? Uh, I've, I don't think I've seen enough to call myself a fan, but I guess I am because I, I love them. And uh, the movies I have seen, I think, are just terrific, like Being There and uh, uh, I Love You, Alice B. Toklas and uh, The Insidious Dr. Fu Manchu and oh, all sorts of other ones. Uh, so I, I, but I just know he's he's got such a huge body of work. I uh but I'm sure this is just the tip of the iceberg of all great stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, as I say on this show, we got to make Dr. Strangelove great again. Because oh, yeah, it seems yeah. we're, right, we're right back in the plot of Dr. Strangelove in, mm. in 2022. <laughs> and we're also, also kind of in the plot of the Pink Panther movies because our oh, yeah. leaders seem to be bumbling around in the dark. So. Oh, yeah, I love Clouseau. Uh, he's so great. Yeah, food. Uh, you know, uh, speaking of uh, weird accents, one of the things I love best was this thing where he was on That Was the Week That Was, at least I think that was it, where he's <laughs> doing this, some guy from India doing um, My Fair Lady. He said, lots of chocolate for me to eat. <laughs> it's just uh, hilarious. Uh, yeah, he was uh, definitely in those uh, politically incorrect days, but he was a mm. character actor, so he was gonna mm. he was gonna stretch it as long as he could. So yeah, boy. good times, good times. All right. Well, the topic today, and uh, this is what I wanted to talk about because I think it's so relevant, and hopefully, it will give the listeners, the viewers of this, uh, some aha moments, and that is, of course, the uh, the sacred scapegoat. And uh, I think today it applies because, yes, we are living in a time, as I've done shows with Jungian therapists and uh, uh, PhDs, that we live in a time where everybody's projecting on the Internet, everybody's throwing their shadow out, but they're not integrating the shadow, so that's causing all this damage, projecting here, projecting there. <clears throat> I project in my relationship still. I mean, that's we're human. That's something we're going to do. Jung was right. 
But I think that the idea that as humans, we have to have a sacrifice, some sort of holy sacrifice, mm -hmm. I think it's relevant. And it happens today, and we can call it cancel culture, whatever. Mm -hmm. Somebody or politicians will throw somebody under the bus. I mean, mm -hmm. we see this dichotomy, this psychology, this psycho-spirituality over and over. And I think most people don't realize that they are creating these... Uh, these sacrifices and Bob does an incredible job uh, in his book, Deconstructing Jesus. He has a whole chapter on Rene Girard and the uh, the sacred scapegoat. And it was uh, the, the whole book is great, but this one it stayed with me <laughs> in our recent years. It has stayed with me even more. So we want to talk a little bit about that for the audience. As always, uh, great to see you guys going into the chat. Please uh, write to uh, Nate or Vance uh, as many questions, question marks. We will try to get to you. There's no promises. If you have a super chat, we'll definitely get to you. But uh, always good to see you there, and your comments there are always a blast. So, Bob, I wanted to start with uh, maybe we could talk about who Rene Girard is and why you wrote this, uh, why you wrote this chapter. And I think I love this quote by him. It goes, the peoples of the world do not invent their gods. They mm. defy their victims. Jesus, probably the most famous one, but it probably goes over and over again. So tell us about Rene Girard and why you decided to include him in deconstructing Jesus. Well, he was uh, an anthropologist uh, and a literary critic and a philosopher, and I just love that sort of interdisciplinary uh, approach, and I, I have found it to be uh, so important in my own writing that uh, even when I was a little uh, kid in college as a uh, sophomore, I guess, I, uh, I was a, still a fundamentalist, but I had these instincts that would eventually drive me beyond it. And one of them was I really wanted to understand more about the Bible and Christianity, but I, I couldn't help noticing that with all these other uh, disciplines uh, which, about which we had courses at Montclair State, like sociology of religion, anthropology, psychology of religion, and so on, that, uh, and of course, uh, the philosophical backgrounds that uh, if I I quickly realized if I didn't know these perspectives I'd be missing out a whole lot understanding the the primary thing I wanted to study and holy mackerel was I right uh, you just uh, the the it all interpenetrates it, it's all uh, one big thing and in a sense the division of it into disciplines is like an autopsy uh you're you're really carving it up and it's dead um well this um chapter originally was a, a, a article i wrote for uh, the jesus seminar academic journal uh, called the forum and uh, not the penthouse forum by the way but <laughs> to avoid confusion there um and I I wrote I was about to go out with my family to visit my uh, mother and um, in, in Indiana and just before I went I got word from the guy that edited this journal that they accepted my proposal to write 
this uh, article, but I had to get it to them quickly. So uh, my uh, mother had a new computer she really was afraid to use. Uh, uh, and as uh, to too much modern technology and such. And uh, so I took the opportunity of uh, I, so rude. Uh, I pretty much isolated myself in her office and just uh, I brought the, my Girardian books with me and I just uh, wrote the thing in a huge marathon. Uh, and I don't even remember whether I, um, well, I had note cards, I guess. And, and, uh, uh, it was just this Zen-like thing, like the the two times I wrote PhD dissertations, each one in two weeks. Uh, it, oh. it just was an an incredible transcendent experience, and um, it, it his uh, idea of what the sacred is uh, that it is really a mystification of violence and uh, specifically of the primordial act of social violence. I say the, but it would happen at the beginning of, of any society uh, and maybe more than once. Uh, the idea was that you would have the war of all against all, uh, that, that um, the poor would be envious of uh, what the rich had or, or one, country the same uh, envious of the adjacent one and things would degenerate into just uh, crazy violence and the only, and and uh, it came to the point where either side of the war must have uh, committed atrocities so it was no longer really possible to say who was guiltier than anybody else and so the so so neither side uh, would admit that they were at fault. They didn't think they were, and really, who knows who was anymore. And so, what would happen is, uh, eventually, they would say, "You know, I, I don't know why we're doing this. You don't know why we're doing this. I bet there's some malevolent influence that uh, got us both to do this. Uh, who could that be?" And they would find a marginalized figure. Uh, possibly a, a stranger who had just come into one of the communities or um, somebody who was uh, disabled or deformed and stood out. Uh, it could be, or they could just have uh, arbitrarily picked anybody, uh, which sort of made sense because now everybody was equally guilty anyway. Mm -hmm. So you picked one and said, I bet this guy must have evil magic powers to be able to ruin society, George Soros. <laughs> uh, and, uh, uh, and, and so if we could get rid of him, uh, everything would be okay. And so they do, uh, they, they kill him and it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, what they've done is to have cleansed themselves of the violence by blaming it on this guy. But then they take a, take a step back and say, you know, that is amazing that this one individual's death saved us all. I guess he wasn't some uh, malicious sorcerer or demon. He must have been a, a savior. Uh, but uh, he was wounded for our transgressions. Uh, we He bore our guilt and saved us. And uh, so you um, then make a, a, a god, a hero, a saint out of him and you um, try to forget 
what really happened. And social equilibrium is restored, maybe with some revisions, who knows. And the um, it all is uh, dependent on people not understanding what had happened, but reaping the results anyway. And they reminded themselves of it by ritual sanctioned violence, especially well, either uh, continuing human sacrifice or more likely animal sacrifice. They didn't exactly know why this was called for, but it uh, it had to be done now. And all of the uh, the um, the uh, the rage and envy and so on would be projected on to the, uh, the the human sacrifice or the animal sacrifice, either way, a scapegoat, just like on the Day of Atonement, where you had the, the goat that was sent out to Azazel in the wilderness, and he bore the sins of Israel. Um, uh, the um, and, and eventually, this it might break down, and you would have the cycle start over again. But what would cause it to break down would be a loss of confidence in the sacrificial system. Mm. I mean, it 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 was a a, a tightrope walk because it would only work if you didn't really understand what happened. Uh, but mm. if you became alienated from it, where you said, what the heck are we doing here? This is primitive. <laughs> or something like in the um, in the Jerusalem temple um, sacrificial regimen, uh, Bruce Chilton pointed this out, that um, that the uh, this the people who are bringing their sacrifices to the temple were being progressively alienated from it because they couldn't, after a while, they couldn't bring their own livestock from home, which was the original idea. Uh, I'm sacrificing something of mine. But uh, suppose your uh, lamb broke a leg on the way. It uh, couldn't have been too rare. So for the convenience of the pilgrims, they had uh, livestock for sale at the temple. And, and of course, that's what Jesus is upset about. You made my father's house a den of thieves and so on. And um, so it wasn't really their animal they're offering. And they couldn't even pay for it for their own with their own money because uh, in for secular purposes they could use Roman denarii, but you couldn't use that in an offering to God because it was idolatrous. It had uh, Caesar's picture on it, so you had these currency exchange tables. So I, I don't have my own lamb or whatever but I can't buy one unless I exchange my money for it. So I'm twice removed from what it's supposed to be really kind of offering myself. And so it becomes meaningless. And, uh, and then you have uh, the, uh, the breakdown of the society with the zealots and such uh, killing the priests and, uh, and uh, anarchy, you know, no king, but God, and we got to kill the Romans. There's there's loads of these things, and Gerard said that they're they're um, remembered yet forgotten in myths that conceal the knowledge with the gnosis, you might say. And his greatest example is the Oedipus cycle. Uh, that um, Oedipus is um, oh, that that is just so unbelievably profound. Uh, uh, the um, 
Oedipus is trying to avoid his predestined fate of killing his father. Uh, he doesn't want that to happen, and his father knows about the props. He doesn't want him to do it either, so he just has him exposed on the hillside somewhere. But a shepherd says, I, I can't do that. I'm, I'm just going to give him to somebody else. And he uh, grows up in, uh, I guess it's Thebes, and uh, he's wandering around and comes upon the monster called the Sphinx, uh, who traps everybody with uh, with questions like, what is your name? What is your quest? Only he says, you know, what <laughs> the average you? speed of a swallow. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Oedipus figures it out on the spot and then kills the Sphinx. On his way into Thebes, he meets uh, his father, whom he doesn't know. He's the king. He, I think he was sent out to battle the Sphinx, but couldn't do it. But, but Oedipus is out of my way. I'm on my way into Thebes, buddy. Uh, and uh, and so he fights Laertes, his own father, and kills him. He has no idea. He's just killed the king or his father. He goes in, and they said, oh, stranger, how are you? What brings you here? Well, I had to kill this monster out there. What? You, you killed the Sphinx? Hey, you know, our king's been gone for a while. How would you like the job? And, well, yeah. okay. And, uh, and, and so he marries the widow, who is his own mother, and he doesn't know that either. It's just like Lynn Carter uh, was was thinking once of doing a musical version of Oedipus uh, with songs like, uh, we've got a big complex, which complex the Oedipus Rex? Oh, it's tough, believe me, mister, when your father, is, when your mother is your sister, etc. It's, it's great stuff. He never got further than that with it. But uh, the uh, Sophocles, if only he had had those bits of music. Anyway, uh, he, he becomes the king and he's a hero, but suddenly a plague uh, strikes Athens. What happened? And they figured, well, it must be divine punishment for something. Uh, but what? And so uh, Oedipus has uh, the, I guess it's Tiresias, this oracle. Uh, he find out from Apollo's oracle what it is we did and what can we do about it. And uh, he comes back and says, well, the trouble is that uh, Laertes has been gone and we just forgot about him. Uh, who knows what happened to him? You can't treat a king like that. Uh, and uh, so he says, okay, yeah, let, let's find out. He, he doesn't know. He killed him, right? <laughs> uh, and so he sends out the, the, the people to look and they find out. I guess they contact the shepherd that saved his life. And I love this scene where he says, well, what'd you find out? And he said, um, for the love of the gods, master, ask me no more questions. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, man, what a masterpiece. And, and once he realizes what he's done, he tears his own eyes out. He can't stand the, the, to see the truth. And, and eventually he atones for what he did and is taken up into heaven. What does that have to do with the scapegoat? Well, Gerard says... Look, look what's going on here. In, now, this didn't literally happen, but it must be a kind of a memorial of something they knew, uh, remembered, that did happen in, in the remote past. And uh, so the, the plague was actually the breakdown of society. And um, Oedipus, though a righteous man, becomes the scapegoat because they mm -hmm. pick him to bear the guilt 
I mean, they uh, they didn't have forensics. They couldn't prove who it was. Or they couldn't determine <laughs> who it was. But the the facts pointed to Oedipus, so he's nominated as the the killer, and uh, and he accepts it. And so, if he is punished, the plague will recede and everything will be okay again. Uh, and uh, that's what happens. And th there are other great examples uh, Gerard gives, but he says, you see, what happened is that you remember it and reenact it in the form of a ritual sacrifice, but you don't remember what really happened and you'd better not because that will let the air out of the tire. Uh, the, the violence that was sacred because it had to do with gods and so forth, not mere mortals, that will uh, be seen in its true light as just an awful social chaos uh, breakout. And, um, and and it's it's just so ingenious. And the thing with Girard is somewhere along the line, he converted to Christianity and oh, really? uh, became a Catholic. And so once he gets to the gospels, he says, now the gospels um, have exposed this for all time because mm. they're written from the standpoint of Jesus as the innocent scapegoat. Whereas his other analysis, he said, is based on um, uh, persecution um, myths, uh, where where the the myth teller himself or herself still does not know uh, what was actually going on, but the gospels are exposing that somehow their authors did, and they say, you see, Jesus is getting railroaded here, uh, but but he saved us by doing it. And Gerard is saying, well, okay, that's over with. Now we can drop this mystification of religious violence and learn to be peaceful and to love one another, and we won't have this problem anymore. But it seems to me he he just succumbed to apologetics. Uh, it, it seems to me that uh, Jesus in the Gospels is the perfect example of this, even better than the Oedipus thing, uh, and that uh, Girard has purposely forgotten the truth of the matter uh, and uh, to save face for his faith, and, and because it's not going to work if we uh, don't um, hide it from ourselves, and he does. So the, I think there's a terrible irony in what he does, but it's it's certainly illuminating to uh, possibly explain many things throughout history. Well said, yes, uh, really well said, and you heard it, people. For some reason, we want to sacrifice, or the powers that be will will uh, will make sure there is one for our sins. And uh, I love what Gerard's doing about yeah, this original sacrifice has been changed, and there's a deeper level. The example you use in your book is uh, the story of Balder, and we all mm. know the story where. His mother is he's so wonderful, you know, she's like an Irish mother. He's God, he's beautiful and all that. So no, she does some spell or something where only mistletoe can hurt him. And then all the gods are throwing stuff at him. And uh, Loki goes and whispers to Hathor or Hythor, the blind god, throw something with a mistletoe and he kills Balder. And then Loki gets severely punished. But as you write or Gerard argues, I always thought it was a weird story because, like you said, at one point Loki comes out and he's screaming mad at the gods about what they're doing. Like he's really upset. And there's other clues. So you say that in the original myth, 
it was probably the gods who were sacrificing Balder, maybe to the Celestials or something. And then they create, they made Loki into the villain, the scapegoat who later became a god. Or perhaps even in the Gospels, it, maybe it was the apostles who plotted to have Jesus killed because like you, you say tongue in cheek, he was such a jerk, you know, that he was always screaming at them. They didn't get it. Maybe they were like, ah, screw this guy. We're going to get this Jesus at the end. And they, and then the story changed with the Romans and the Jews. So I love the idea that there is a primordial myth that we are not seeing. Mm -hmm. It's all, oh, go ahead. Somebody. No, no, go ahead. Uh, Freud said a similar thing, and, and Gerard analyzes this too, in his theory of the origin of religion, where he said that originally the, uh, the proto-humans went around in little uh, clannish uh, pods, you might say, and that uh, he, he speaks of it as if it's like Adam and Eve, and it's something that happened once, but I think what he means is that this must have happened many times. Uh, and uh, the, uh, the, the group was run by the father, and, uh, all, and, and his sons were subordinates, and his uh, daughters were his harem. And he was having sex with them and wouldn't let the, the boys have access to them. And needless to say, they got kind of frustrated at this and decided to kill the old man and, and take the women for themselves. But they were immediately so horrified at what they had done that they uh, said, well, he's uh, not really dead uh he's invisibly alive and uh and we're gonna pray to him and and all of that uh but in the meantime we've learned our lesson about the women we're no longer gonna try to mate with uh, our sisters uh and this and then they began to have exogamy to mating with uh females from other uh clans or whatever and so you could explain the origin of religion and of uh, exogamy, uh, anti-incest, uh, all in one one blow, and uh, this um, this is kind of like it, and, and they perpetuated the concealed memory of it through animal sacrifice. That they would wanted to perpetually remind themselves of the founding deed, but it was too horrible to remember in, in its bald-facedly. So they they uh, they no longer really knew uh, why they were doing it, but the animal was the the representative of the now divine invisible father. And th this is not, uh, now a lot of people have rejected that and ridiculed it. Poor Freud uh, gets, uh, I mean, you, you can almost explain the reaction to Freud in terms of the Oedipus complex, the anxiety of influence that people uh, with other views psychologically uh, want to minimize his importance so they'll look all the better. Oh, yeah, we've moved past it. <laughs> uh, and, uh, uh, but uh, it turns out that uh, there's a book, I think, by Robin I think it's Robin Fox called uh, The Red Lamp of Incest, uh, hmm. where this came out in the 70s, where he said, actually, from what we know about um, anthropoid apes and so on, it, it sort of lent uh, a new plausibility to Freud's uh, scenario. I mean, he couldn't have known all of this, but it looks like his surmises 
may have been true. And uh, and, and uh, Girard's is sort of a version of that, only it's on a larger societal level. And, um, and the, oh yeah, one thing he says about the breakdown of society is, that all the traditional boundary lines are uh, beginning to be erased, and that would include caste privileges and so forth, and the the envy of the lower class and all that. But uh, that seems to me really to describe our society right now. Uh, I always like to preface saying this with the fact that I am not transphobic or or any of that stuff, uh, homophobic, I personally take individuals as they come. I don't care what they think they're Martians. Doesn't matter to me. It's all the more interesting, right? But I do think if you step back from the trees and look at the forest, this hyper diversity we, we're encouraging and experiencing is a sign of social uh, decay and a sinking into chaos. Yeah. And the like you say, with the, the cancel culture and all that, that's a big sign of it. How are we ever gonna get back together? Uh, and we open ourselves up to the influence of our enemies like China and, and Iran and so forth. They're building up arms and we're debating pronouns and so on. And, and so you can see what's, uh, and it's not as if all those concerns are groundless, but it, it shows a kind of myopia. You you can't see any, it's like you got a toothache, you can't think of anything else. Mm. So I understand why it's happening. Uh, and I don't think the individuals involved are evil, but I think mm. we do have a bunch of symptoms that we're in big trouble. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. And I would say I've known you got since 2005, you're the you're the most colorblind, take people as they come, content of their character guy. That's never been, that's always how you're like me. You're just a Gen X from the, you know, 60s, can't we all get along kind of guy. Mm. So, but yeah, yeah. And I think, I mean, you make some good points. I I say we're just, we're forgetting our ability of self-reflection and introspection and trying to understand the unconscious, which we're talking today. A lot of these things, cancel culture is projection, it's fear. It's uh, yeah. Looking like, like we're talking, we're looking, if we sacrifice somebody and it can be anybody, it could be uh, Donald Trump, Joe Biden, doesn't matter who it is, the Pope, then all our problems will be solved. We put our sins on them and then right. everything will be better. And it's a lot more complicated and it's sort of a grand illusion by the archons to let us think it's that simple. Yeah. Uh, Rock'em, sock'em, egregores. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, Vance or uh, Nathan, any uh, questions? I'm going to – I've got yeah, some hat out. I'll let you yeah, um, I'll jump in a second. Yeah, Nathan Lee, not a Nathan, but a Nathan Lee. That's my own personal uh, personal egregore. But, um, yeah, I, one thing I noticed was how interesting is the self-fulfilling prophecy that Gerard went through when he ripped out his own eyes at the end, so to speak. So that very – yes, that very same archetype that he sought to escape was the very thing he ended up becoming, which is in all my about, judgment exactly. Um, yeah. it, it's something about how in magic they talk about, or any kind of active living spirituality, that which you feed with your attention is that which is going to end up becoming that which you will have a confrontation with. 
Hmm. And that's basically um, just to really get esoteric. Time itself may be a Mobius strip. And I feel like um, the signs, like in the portents that you have just expressed about the degradation of the Western culture, so to speak, um, Tool is a band I listen to a lot. And they wrote this song called The Tempest. And it's talking about how you're going to happen again. That's what I think. And they're talking about this point wherein we cross the metaphysical threshold of the center of the Mobius strip. So all of that energy which was put in comes back in its mirrored form, which is exactly what happened with Gerard. And mm. it's, it's kind of an esoteric concept, but that's a, it's a thought to put out there. So, yes. My wife, Carol, absolutely worships Tool because of the, the sound, of course, but because of the depth of the, the thought in it. And uh, yeah. it is uh, amazing stuff. I think they're all uh, Thelemites um, uh, also. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't want to get off on this, but after I uh, my, the latest round of controversy, I generated um, writing the preface to a fantasy anthology where I really started catching it from atheists, leftists, etc. Um, um, oh, um, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I had been scared. I'd been invited to a Zoom kind of a thing with a bunch of the local uh, Thelemites and the the couple that ran the the group were were friends of ours, and uh, he he um, emailed me shortly before this was to happen, and he said, "I think I ought to warn you that everybody has read your uh, piece, and uh, I don't know what kind of welcome you're going to get." And but I decided to go anyhow, and. Uh, it was just the opposite of what I thought it might be. I was asking them questions about what is your spirituality? What do you do, et cetera? Because I, I know something about Crowley, but I, I'm not really familiar with the spiritual life you inculcate. It went great. There was no problem at all. So who knows? But, but I did get the impression that they were all snowflakes. Uh, that uh, the whole thing, I mean, the last thing you would expect from Thelemites, uh, but they're, they're all like, uh, oh, yeah, this is a big safe space. And, I, well, you know, do as thou wilt, uh, but I'm surprised that's what thou wilt. Uh, so there's a lot of surprises in society today. Well, Thelemites are very varied because I've seen their discussions and arguments. So you get all spectrum of, like any religion, you're going to yeah, get the spectrum. Good. You're going to get conservatives, liberals, communists, socialists, everything. Mm -hmm. Could I just say to that point, and then I'll, I'll duck back out for a while. Um, Craig Williams, in a conversation with Mark Stavish, was talking about how he was so surprised that the Satanists, like the Anton LaVey, and uh, the Thelemites were so sensitive and quite the uh, like almost Gerard, uh, Ger we'll just call it Gerarding themselves. Like it's, it's, I'm very edified to hear you reify that because that was the same message that you were getting. And I mean, maybe it's too much time in California, but um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I was very, Carol and I were very surprised at this. Do we have the wrong idea about Crowley or do they? I don't know what the heck's the. Of the deal, but it was very surprising. Cool. 
Ben, did you ask a question or a question from the audience? Well, I I've got some questions. I was trying to wrestle the cat to get her out of here. <laughs> cat, cat wrangling. Before she yeah. left a sacrifice in the corner of the room or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, Armando Sol uh, Solorzano wants to know if our wars are actually mass ritual sacrifices. Oh, that's or pretty sacrifice. high level. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, that goes back to the Bible, because in these holy wars, it probably never happened, actually. But at least the theory was they would kill everybody, uh, man, woman, child and animal uh, as as a gift to, as a sacrifice to Yahweh. Uh, and so it was, they were being sacrificed and everybody they could get a hold of was being sacrificed. And uh, I, that's, uh, that's, I guess, ending a crisis the, the hard way uh, where you just eliminate the, uh, the other party you don't like. But it sure is an example of, of what um, Gerard called uh, mimetic rivalry uh, and the monstrous double that you become just like what you're fighting. Like, what's the difference? An outsider wouldn't even be able to tell anymore. And uh, the way that's, uh, again, I don't think that ever happened there. I think I'm an Old Testament minimalist, and it seems to me all of that stuff is is really sort of jingoistic fiction. Uh, and, and the Canaanites stand for an ancient stage of Israelite religion that they were trying to be rid of. And so they're dramatizing it a la the Pilgrim's Progress or something. But nonetheless, I mean, it sounded plausible to the ancients. People did that kind of stuff. Maybe it would be the, the, uh, the apt category for it. Because it's like God is on our side. Everybody thinks that. And, uh, uh, the Crusades, uh, they certainly were uh, done in the service of God, both on the Muslim and the Christian side. And uh, everybody was equally at fault, apparently. Uh, so I don't know, that, that would make sense. I got to think more about that, but that, that kind of rings true. I would say yeah. so, and uh, I would say it's definitely from a metaphysical level. And I would, uh, we talked about Tool, and people have been talking about Rush, but the Lord and Masters Black Sabbath have a song called War Pigs. I think it's all right there in the lyrics of War Pigs about hmm. everything we're doing. Um, I think I do see a, uh, a super chat DC advance yeah. from our friend oh, yeah. Ast Almos, who yeah. goes by Asterox Foundation. That's right. I was just about to bring him up. He says, uh, with the foundation, a formation of Islam, who or what was the sacred scapegoat for the coming forth of its new religious order, order in the Persian regions? So, in the Persian what? Persian regions. Oh, boy. Who's the scapegoat? The scapegoat. Well, it's possible one. you could say that uh, Muhammad was intended to be one, uh, but narrowly avoided it because he took it on the lamb, at least according to the traditional view. Oh, we don't know if it even happened that way, but he was preaching uh, in Mecca and he was an ascetic and an otherworldly prophet and denouncing the, the polytheism of the Arabs, and uh, which made it an economic issue because Mecca was supposed to be the, uh, 
the uh, sort of theme park of idols that uh, you would go there on pilgrimage and worship whichever of the many gods you wanted. And if people were to follow Muhammad, uh, the that would be a big blow to the economy. And so they decide to, to get rid of him. Uh, but uh, the uh, interestingly, he gets a message from Medina to the north, I think. And they said, look, we're in a huge war here. The factions seem equally matched, but we hear you're a prophet and that would give you the, uh, the, the clout to, um, tip the balance in our favor. If you come to Medina, we'll make you uh, the, the, uh, the authority. You'll rule it. How about it? And uh, that was the, uh, the uh, Hijra, the Hijra, where he, he uh, fled Mecca for Medina and did bring peace. But he didn't die, uh, luckily. He, um, he, he managed to escape it out of the frying pan and into the fire, actually. He was the uh, target in Mecca, but then uh, the, the peacemaker in Medina. And uh, of course, uh, that uh, he, he had a war then leading Medina against Mecca. And I guess you could say that the Meccans who were killed paid the price. That doesn't quite fit the uh, Girardian thing, but it's uh, somewhat analogous. Got another one. Let's see. Uh, uh, can we discuss uh, or contrast Walter Benjamin's idea of divine violence? Familiar with that? I'm not. No, not I'm afraid not. Yeah, I'm not. Could be okay. interesting. Well, we can't. <laughs> That's the yeah, answer. Sorry about that. <laughs> well, I have a question. Yeah, you were talking about yeah the the idea of mimetic violence, but uh, how we become what we are. But what about the idea of the mimetic twin? Because, again, in your chapter you talk about, and you've talked about in the Bible Geek for years, that what is going on in the New Testament? You have all these characters that seem to appear. They almost seem to be aspects of one another. Mm -hmm. Mary, Simon. This uh, The most famous one would be probably Simon Magus and Simon Peter, who might be mm -hmm. two sides of the same coin and Simon may be Peter's shadow, but there are two forces like uh, Araman and Osmod and something like that. But And you wonder, are these individuals actually doing some psychology and splitting these characters to make the Girardian sacrifice more pal palatable? What do you think, Bob? Well, there's Jesus has mimetic twins, uh, uh, se several of them, and, and Simon Peter is one of those too, though you're certainly right about Simon Magus and Simon Peter, but the, the best one, best example to deal with this, I think, is how Simon Peter appears to be the, the uh, conscience, the subconscious or something of Jesus. Like when he, uh, when Jesus uh, says, who do you say that I am? And they hear various opinions and Peter, he said, well, how about you? And uh, Peter says, you're the Christ. Uh, I wonder if we're to understand that this is where Jesus comes up with the idea. Like maybe he, he doesn't yet know. Uh, and, uh, and that this is Simon is the part of him that, that has, is finally making it clear to him who he is. 
But then when he says, well, now that you know that, uh, let me tell you what's got to happen next. Uh, i got to be beaten and spit on and crucified. And Oh, no, Simon Peter, this, this is not happening to you while I'm around. And he says, get out of my sight, Satan. Uh, and uh, <laughs> what is that? I mean, poor Peter, you, you have to wonder, uh, what did I say? What did I do? What's the problem here? Well, Jesus, I read it as if Jesus is really rebuking himself because he has the same feeling. Uh, If I am the Messiah, what is my destiny? Do I really want that? Maybe I should get out of it, which he tries to do in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Where he says, Father, you know, if there's some way, I can avoid this. I'd rather do that. But, you know, whatever you say goes. Uh, You find out he does have that uh, kind of uh, that hesitation. And uh, uh, when uh, Jesus rises from the dead, interestingly, there is no story where he appears just to Peter. Peter is in the the general group where they're they're all really the actantial role of uh, the uh, Jesus audience and so forth. Um, but uh, maybe that means Jesus has resolved everything uh, and that the resurrection is a new start for him once he has. And so that would be a, a, an example of it being um, the two sides of an individual split uh, Judas Iscariot would be one, especially since you got this thing with Judas Isca- in the Gospel of John, Judas Iscariot and Judas not Iscariot. Uh, boy, is that tempting to to think. But they, they don't uh, tell you much about Judas not Iscariot. He just asks one question in the, in the news conference. Um, uh, well, another case like that would be Peter, who who abandons Jesus, though he said he wouldn't do it, right? If I have to die with you, that's the way it'll be. Oh, really? You know, I happen to know that before dawn, you're going to be denying a blue streak. Jesus, uh, Jesus who? (laughs) Uh, And and, and that's what happens. But uh, who is this Simon of Cyrene character? Uh, He is equal to uh, Peter, who does fulfill his vow. Uh, He he, uh, carries the cross for Jesus. And in John's gospel, uh, you find out he's going to be crucified, too. I have to think there's something going on in in these things. Um, or, Or another one, Cephas, Peter, and Caiaphas, they're not two versions of the same name, but that really doesn't matter. Gerard says if the name sounds similar, you got to ask yourself, wait a minute, what's going on here? And sure enough, there's there a Caiaphas is uh, there at the hearing for Jesus, uh, accusing him and condemning him. And and Peter, his counterpart, Cephas, is outside the same building uh, denying Jesus. Like it, it seems like it's too holes of the same character and all the Marys what's going on there uh, well of course that that could just be coincidence because uh, half of the women in Palestine at that time were named either yeah. Mary Mariam etc 
or Salome. So naturally, you know, walk into any room and there'd be loads of Marys. Um, but uh, you also have Jesus Barabbas. And- oh boy, yeah, that's-, that's another classic one, right? Who would you like me to release? Uh, Jesus called the Christ or Jesus the Son of the Father? Bar Abbas. <laughs> Whoa, what? Uh, and, and is that some sort of docetic thing where Jesus Barabbas, the son of the father, the real Jesus, escapes? That's almost exactly like in the, I think it's the uh, Acts of Peter and uh, the Acts of John. Uh, Jesus is, he's supposed to be crucified, but he appears elsewhere to a disciple and says, you know, those idiots over there think they're crucifying me, but but really I'm here. Uh, and the Quran sort of implies something like that too. Uh, that's, uh, that, that would have theological significance too, because it would be docetism of some kind that uh, wasn't really Jesus who was on that cross. I love the way they deal with that in The Last Temptation of Christ, where Jesus' guardian angel, or so he thinks, releases him from the cross, but none of the people around the cross see that. And they seem to still be seeing Jesus, and they're shaking their fists and cursing at nobody. Uh, Oh, boy, is that uh, what a great movie. Yeah, that is a classic movie, and uh, I like to, uh, or we should mention the uh, the uh, ritual of Saturnalia. I'm probably misspelling it, mispronouncing it. Sorry, uh, had the ritual Saturnalia. You had the had the ritual of the king or the fool king, right? That they would the Aztecs would have that too, where you have some guy you treat him like a king, purple robe like Jesus, everything else, and then at the end of a year or the end of the festival, didn't they sacrifice him to Saturn? Yeah, uh, this goes, like Frazier was big on this. He said that, uh, and I think he was right, that the idea that of the sacred king uh, who embodies, he's like the Fisher King, he embodies the vitality of nature. And at the end of the year, uh, nature has run out of life force and therefore the king like percival says in excalibur you and the land are one uh and uh and so the king has to uh die along with nature and be reborn a drink from the grail and you shall be reborn in the land with you <laughs> what a movie <laughs> what a great uh, movie yeah uh fraser said originally there would be a new king uh, supposedly the old king reborn, really, I guess, more like reincarnated. But eventually, of course, nobody be willing to serve as the king uh, if, if this is what would come to. So what they would do is to get the fool king and say, uh, you know, you're going to die, but uh, you're really going to whoop it up for a day or so beforehand. You'd never be able to do that otherwise, would you? Some street bum like Carabas and Philo. And he said, well, okay, you got yourself a deal. And so this bum uh, would be uh, praised and and feted and all that. And then, uh, and the the real king would appear as if he had died and and been resurrected. Uh, I'm just sure Frazier was right about that. And the, uh, the, the Barabbas thing is a kind of second generation version of that 
because the original must have been what Philo describes with Carabas. Uh, I mean, even the name is almost the same. Just some some homeless man in the street. Um, the which one was it? Uh, Antipas or one of the Herodian kings is on his way back from being crowned by the emperor, and he's going through Alexandria, I guess. And uh, the the uh, rowdies in the streets say this guy's a king, and so let's give him a royal welcome. And they go fish this guy out of a gutter and give him a a, a, a reed to be his, his scepter and put a doormat around him as his cloak and so on paper party hat and oh mar lord and all that just to embarrass uh the herodian king don't tell me that is not the original version of barabbas now of course that contradicts what i just said about uh, the docetic thing as with um, many 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 things in the bible the possible interpretations are an embarrassment of riches. There are so many plausible explanations. We'll never know what happened, really. No, like you said, uh, all we have is dots to connect, but there's so many dots. You can mm. just have fun forever. And yeah, and you talk about too, I mean, this goes to the Babylonian or festival or whatever, where the king would take off his helmet or his crown and the priest would slap him in front yep. of the population. This the ritual, thing. Yeah. There was a ritual humiliation. And I think that's important part of the whole Girardian mm -hmm. thing. And we, we see that today even online or with politicians they'll give their you know silly boilerplate apology i'm better than this i will try to be harder i will try to and the more they apologize the more the masses want to humiliate them don't take them seriously it's like they again look at the jordanian model once you are the sacrificial victim once they turn on you they will have the ritual humiliation and they won't be happy until you are sacrificed at the altar. It doesn't matter mm -hmm. if you're on their side, the other side, it doesn't mm -hmm. matter. So don't apologize. Can I ask a quick question just about the nature of the, because the Joker apparently won um, the Golden Lion even, like that film won the Golden Lion. And I'm wondering about if uh, maybe, uh, Robert, you could talk about the chaotic killer clown archetype as almost like a reinversion of someone who has apologized and now they've been humiliated, but they've gone all the way through and come out to the other side where now they are the um, identity of all the people who have ever felt humiliation. And now they're going to have comeuppance on what would be the status quo, who is the king? You know what I mean? I hope that question makes sense. Yeah, I'm not familiar with the Golden Lion, but like the Joaquin Phoenix uh, Joker is a great example of that, uh, where it, this guy's been ruthlessly ridiculed. I mean, he, he asked for it in a way he's uh, maladapted, but uh, he gets uh, he tries to uh, strike down the the authorities, the social structure, which he cannot really uh meet or function in and uh turns out that he's sparking a revolution by the end of the the movie the can't wait to see what they do in the sequel which is supposed to be in the works uh but the um a, something another batman thing that is really girardian is in the movie batman forever where val kilmer plays him mm -hmm. uh where uh edward nigma the riddler 
uh, is a classic case of a mimetic double. Uh, he admires the heck out of Bruce Wayne. Um, both are inventors, and he tries to impress Bruce Wayne and be like him, but uh, Bruce sort of dismisses him. He can see he's a nut, and, uh, but uh, that's not the end of the story, and he decides to uh, turn on his idol and destroy and replace him. He even gets a fake mole on his uh, chin like um, Bruce has. And the whole thing is exactly like, because you find out that, and, and in the same movie, there's Two-Face. And Two-Face is, is supposed to be Batman uh, in the, like he's got the face divided vertically. Uh, Batman's face is divided horizontally. And uh, and both have to do with a, a crime trauma. Bruce's parents were murdered right in front of him. And uh, Harvey Dent was, I don't know if they explained it in that movie, but uh, he, uh, he was uh, the district attorney. And uh, uh, this mob thug on the stand had somehow had a vial of acid and flung it in his face as he's turning away. And now uh, Harvey Dent, He's the most profound of the comic book villains. Uh, he he is he flips a coin to determine whether he's going to do a good deed or a bad one because it's all just luck. Uh, that's what happened to him. Uh, let's see what the Lady Justice has for you, my friend. Blink. Uh, and uh, th that holy mackerel! That that whole thing. I even mentioned that movie in this this article I wrote. It's just such a fascinating thing, and uh, and it's Girardian all the way. I doubt seriously if the writers knew that, but then again, they don't have to. I mean, Girard isn't inventing this. He's just pointing it out. Oh, boy. Great yeah. stuff. Well said. Well, any oh, go ahead, Bob. He wants to be Superman. He resents the fact mm -hmm. that Superman has these powers that he didn't earn, he, was, he just lucked out, uh, whereas uh, uh, Luther is the self-made man and has uh, the super intellect, and he's got to prove that Superman is just a freak and he's no better than Luther. I mean, that's that's Girardianism. Single white female, the movie reminds me too. <laughs> yeah, I'm not seeing yeah. that. I'm yeah, you got to take over and you got to destroy that. Uh, Vance, any questions from you or the audience? Um, yeah, I, have, I haven't seen any questions from the audience. I've been uh, checking the chat. Maybe I missed them. But uh, yeah, I was, I was, um, I'm, I'm thinking about um, the fact that uh, it, it's always with these sacrifices. Um, to try to, you know, what's the motivation behind the, to try to please some superpower of some sort, right? It's always mm -hmm. to placate or please this power. And so uh, are, are these powers just constructed in the mind? How, how does this power get constructed or is it real? Is there some real power, the power of the collective possibly? You know, what is it? What is this uh, thing behind it all? Well, uh, Gerard is in the tradition of uh, Durkheim, and Durkheim certainly believed that. Uh, he he uh, theorized on the basis of totemism that uh, that what uh, a god is is the mystification of the society, 
And he said that you can see that the most clearly in totemism, where people are members of a certain clan, uh, like a totem pole has certain animal likenesses, and each one stands for the totem animal of one of the clans within the tribe. So there's the cave bear clan and the, the wolf clan, the eagle clan. And the idea is that the members of each clan once a year eat the flesh of whatever their totem animal is, and that makes them members of the species in a mystical way. Uh, and uh, it's okay if the other clans eat uh, bear meat all the time if they want, but we don't because it would be cannibalism if we're in the bear clan. Uh, and uh, so uh, Durkheim said, I bet you that is the origin of religion. It's a kind of projection of the social group as this uh, overarching thing that knows what you do, even if nobody else does, and you owe it all allegiance. You have to obey the rules of the society, and uh, and the sanction for it is that the god or the totem animal embodying you gave you the law. So that's a it's a kind of a a um, it's a it's a reified consciousness uh, that um, humans created it, but it took on a life of its own once the second generation was taught to believe in this, because now the object of worship, the embodiment of the clan was there before the worshipers were. Like, let's say the original generation put two and two together and figured this out. As soon as they start catechizing their kids, the kids can't help but but uh, think that uh, this, this was before me. This described my reality. It's realer than I am. And so that that's the kind of power that we make, but it's none the, no less real than that. Uh, and I think... Um, uh, the archons and all that. I mean, that is uh, a good example of that. I mean, are there actual archons? Well, I guess it depends on what you think spirit means, but uh, they like, uh, what is the, uh, the angel worship condemned in Colossians? Uh, who is worshiping angels? Well, conventional religious people, because the archons have fabricated a, a fake religion centered on them, making you think they're gods. But the joke's on you, the higher god uh, they don't even suspect exists. So in a way, you know, who created what? Well, we created these institutions that they symbolize, and our ancestors did, so they're realer than we are. Uh, we can't really change them. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, they're, uh, the gods are by common consent uh, upheld by our belief. Uh, Thomas Ligotti has some, some great stuff about this, that reality is itself a delusion based on uh, taken for granted consent. And if anybody started to uh, call the bluff Things, there's a story called the Mystics of Muhlenberg where that happens. Uh, everybody just for some reason in this village drops the common story and everything begins <laughs> to just uh, fray apart. Uh, in a sense, that's true. This is happening now, yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah, I think the TV show Legion plays with that where 
Yeah, if we're all just, we have to agree to this delusion called reality. And again, if one person, Professor X, goes, hey, wait a second, then everything falls apart. So uh, fascinating stuff. Well, uh, that's in non-dualist Vedanta, that's kind of what's going on, uh, that uh, what we experience is real as far as it goes because we follow the rules built into it. But uh, ultimately, it's a kind of a dream. And the mystic is the one who does wake up from it. And for, for him, uh, that's behind him, like as what one of the Psalms says, uh, um, as a dream when one awakes, um, that's the way God is uh, to, to the world. And uh, that's like a common consent of an illusion that maintains it. Um, Alan Watts says that we have a similar thing in the West with advertising and propaganda. It's all pumping out this toxic gas, this false atmosphere <laughs> of uh, assumptions. Oh boy, yeah, that, that's certainly the truth. Very good, good. <laughs> very good. Thank yeah, as we uh, yeah as we get towards the end, I just have a couple more questions, and I think that's one. It's interesting too, Bob, where uh, you bring up Chaim Macomb, and you know people have tried to connect Balder and Jesus, but here's a, the fascinating is that yeah, Balder, no plant could harm him except for the mistletoe, but in the Toledo Yeshu, after what Jesus dies, Judas has to put him in a stock of cabbage because that's the only plant that will handle jesus so yeah it's the same thing uh cultures apart friga says i want to make sure my boy uh balder is okay and she goes around taking the pledges of all uh types of wood and stuff that uh if they ever make you into a dart or something, you got to promise me you will never stab my son. Okay, sure. But uh, she, she skips the mistletoe because she figured, how could this kill anybody? I'm not wasting my time. And Loki finds out about this and says, well, <laughs> let's see what we can do. Uh, and uh, But in uh, in the toilet of Yeshu, Jesus is dead, but he... he uh, Judas has to display the body at some point. And so what's the, but all wood will not do it. They'll, uh, they won't be a party to this, but he finally says, well, I bet the cabbage stalk probably didn't agree to this. And sure enough, so weird. Mm. Yeah. These stories. Yeah. I always want to say the Toledo, Ohio, but Toledo, yeah. Ohio. <laughs> I wonder if there's uh, some sort of linguistic, I, I wouldn't be saying it means the generations, the Toledo, uh, okay. and who know And Toledo was a North African city originally, right? So I wonder. To your point, I'm reading Stephen King's The Talisman right now because Stranger Things told me to, and huh. um, I literally on the other page they were just in he um without spoilers the character was in Toledo. So to your point, huh. oh. oh, those books are uh, they they must be absolutely um filled with uh, cult meaning in them, like even to the dates of people who die and stuff. I was wondering, like, is he trying to say, like, if Crowley died at a certain age, is one of the people who dies at that age supposed to be a stand in for Crowley? That kind of stuff. I, so, would, I would assume so. I mean, otherwise, why give a specific date? Right. Uh, 
Yeah, that's interesting. Wow. Yeah, oh, I've got a Gnostic cool. anecdote that doesn't exactly fit this, but I can't resist. Sure. Years ago, uh, I was I invited a Jesus seminar colleague, uh, Kathleen Corley. Uh, she happened to be visiting Drew, and uh, I lived close to there. She didn't, and I said, "Why don't you come over and uh, we'll talk?" And so um, I, I said, "You got to listen to this," and I played her. Um, Thunder Perfect Mind by uh, Current 93. Oh, and yeah. I think what is so great about this is that it's a whole different experience from reading it. Uh, this makes stand that this was a living scripture uh, of a group of believers. It's not just some stupid science fiction thing somebody grafted. And uh, so she was impressed with it. Well, this was a Friday evening, and I was I'm a great fan of the move, uh, the uh, series Millennium. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, uh, and so I was taping that on the VCR while she was there. And uh, once she was gone, I said, oh, let me take a look. And the, the whole episode is based on Thunder Perfect Mind. Get out of here. I, could I not didn't even know that. It. What a synchronicity. Wow. Yeah. Shocking. I got to check it out. I don't even remember. Yeah, I was just, we were just doing a, a meeting on Thunder. Yeah. I mean, Umberto Eco, Tony Morris, all these modern people have, you know, mentioned or dedicated their books. Uh, but I didn't know that Millennium did. Whoa. Was it a good episode? Oh, yeah, yeah. It was really, really great. Yeah, what a show. I love the X-Files, but I always said that mm -hmm. Millennium was a hundred times better. Uh, and, yeah. and and just praising it, not criticizing the X-Files, but I just thought, how do they come up with this? It's so fascinating. Wow. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and speaking of, have you watched any uh, good recent movies with... Uh, strong Gnostic themes that you've enjoyed, Bob? Well, of course, I've seen The Matrix, but that's not really a new one, uh, certainly Gnostic. Um, I don't know. I guess I haven't, or I'd probably remember, but I'm fading being an old... Uh, Have you watched the, la the latest Doctor Strange movie? Oh, yeah, yeah. You liked it? Yeah, uh -huh, I, I did, yeah. There's couple of things I didn't like, but on the whole, I, I really loved it. You mm. mean the Scarlet Witch movie? Yeah. <laughs> all, yeah also, also including Doctor Strange. <laughs> yeah. That's what yeah, Marvel does good. these days, yeah. Robert, <laughs> could I just ask you about the Doctor Strange? Because there was that, they ripped out the giant eye, and then mm. it was later replaced by a third eye appearing for Doctor Strange. Do you see the sacrifice and the eye gouging as a kind of like, relevant like is there something we could learn more from that about inner vision or something well uh of course it's as i'm sure you know it's a classic thing but the pineal gland is the third eye and uh doctor i mean you'd have thought dr strange as the sorcerer supreme already knew everything he had the eye of agamotto and all that uh and uh but i don't know i mean he, he it's like it was a sinister thing when it appeared elsewhere in the movie. I, I don't know if they're trying to say he's becoming possessed or or what. Um, it happens after he's just met Clea uh, as a girlfriend in the comics for years. I, I don't know what to make of that. I'm eager to see the next movie, though. 
Well, to your point, he was possessed of, of dead flesh for an entire portion of the film. Yeah. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was really, uh, really uh, surprising good stuff. I wish I could say the same about the new Thor movie. Uh, I haven't watched it. I hear it's not that good and disappointing. There's really good stuff in it, but it's just a comedy. It's almost on the level of uh, the 1966 Batman TV series. It, oh. it, they make Thor into a clown, uh, really, and the... There's a lot of clever stuff that that is funny but shouldn't be in the movie, and uh, it it just seems. But but there are interesting plot developments and they're leading up to what ought to be a real goodie if the same guy doesn't direct it. The post credit hmm. scene tells you what the next one's going to be about. Oh, okay. Yeah, I need to take the kids. Want to go see it? But I'll wait till. The theaters are a little bit more empty because my kids will get thrown out uh, oh. the way they are at theaters. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, I would uh, advise anybody for, uh, I would advise for me, I tell people go watch everything everywhere at once. It's my favorite movie of the year. Very Gnostic. It does the multiverse much better than Doctor Strange. And uh, there's a film, an Indian film called RRR on Netflix, and it's the most fun adventure film I've seen. It's huh. it might be handing the baton. They'll look back in history and when did we hand the baton to the Koreans and the Indians and the huh. Chinese? This movie might be it because it actually does Hollywood well. So oh boy, yeah, I'll have to watch it. Carol's right. making pizza tomorrow. Maybe we'll watch one of those. Yeah, yeah. And let me know what you think. Uh, I'd have to recommend The Lone Gunman for something uh, that's really yeah. There, there's your other X Files spinoff. But if yeah. you want, if you want something really gnostic, and Robert, I'm sure we've all seen this. Um, this is a show that cannot be overlooked. Oh yeah. Without oh a, yeah, yeah. I like that very much. Great. That you know how they. They put Olivia into the tank and give her drugs, and then she goes to the other side. That's mm. just Stranger Things writ again. So I'd say that Fringe and Stranger Things are sister shows or parallel universes for an awful pun to end this on. Huh. I've <laughs> never seen uh, Stranger Things, mm. uh, but uh, I did really enjoy Fringe, and I love the way they made it uh, a postscript to the X-Files. There's one episode where... Uh, they, they, the authorities say they're thinking of closing down the program, uh, and and, so, and somehow they mention uh, when it was under the X designation, and then you see uh, in a scene uh, somebody's got a TV on, uh, and Agent Mulder is on the screen. I thought, oh man, that is terrific. <laughs> For sure, yeah, I would include the OA. Well, uh, that's oh, anything that's you want. Yeah, what yeah, a yeah. crime that that wasn't carried on. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, we want the third show. <laughs> Vance, any movies? Or like me, you're just waiting for Rick and Morty for the true uh, way to do the multiverse. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm, I'm so desperate to see Rick and Morty that I actually tried um, that other one that they did. Um, oh, gosh. What's the other animated series that... Uh, that you're not thinking of Gravity Falls, are you? No, not Gravity Falls. Um, oh, God. I got a mental block. Uh, 
is the one with the uh, the kids and the big uh, thing with the where they capture and shrink the humans and they have this own little, little world. Uh, um, it's coming to me. Uh, anyway, Rick and Morty. Well, obviously it. didn't make an effect on you if you can't remember the name. Dance. Oh, it, it affected <laughs> me. It's just names. Names are not oh, coming okay. to me as quickly as they used to. Um, yeah, I can hardly remember my own. <laughs> Same here. I'm in my fifties, mid fifties, and it is getting hard to remember. Oh my god, my kids' names. Forget their birthdays. Oh, these days, I have to go to my wife. Uh, well, I just had my sixty eighth birthday, uh, so oh, I'm going to be ready for the mummy wrapping soon. <laughs> uh, we all got uh, yeah, miles to miles to go. Maybe you get oh, some, you could get someone to die in your place, Robert, and we'll see you oh, for a while longer. Yeah. yeah. Solar opposites. Exactly. Solar opposites. That's what I that's that's what I was trying to I had to use my other <laughs> oh. memory, my Google memory. Oh. Yeah, it's not that good. It's I trying know, to be like Rick and Morty, but uh but Rick and Morty, come back. Mm -hmm. And stop awesome. sucking. Make a good season for once after season five. Come on now. I'll take anything at this point. <laughs> <laughs> as long as Rick is in there, you know. Wubba lubba dub dubs! Okay, there we go. <laughs> it's just some kind of rigor mortis there. Maybe. Oh, it's also brick and mortar as well. Oh. Yeah, how can you top uh, Pickle Rick? I think that's the greatest <laughs> hero in the history of humanity. A pickle okay. Rick! <laughs> Never heard of him. Oh, yeah, Pickle Rick. Nathan <laughs> Lee is showing us oh, Pickle oh. Rick for those of you who are uh, will be listening in audio because this show will come out in audio tomorrow. Uh, and of course, it will be available right after this. So, uh, but we are at the end. I hope you enjoyed it. I really hope everybody here gets some good tools to understand. Help you navigate the craziness today with the 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 sacrificial, the holy scapegoat, shadow projections, all this stuff, because these things are happening to humanity 20,000 years ago. Nothing has changed. Our brains and our unconscious is still working. Same rules, same archetypal forces. So keep 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 vigilant and uh, keep you with uh, always going in, as I like to say. And yes, Bob, um, anything you want to tell the audience about finding out where you are? I've got your website here, robertprice.mindvendor.com. Anything else? Yeah, robertmprice.mindvendor.com. Um, let's see, I am doing uh, the Bible Geek again after computer problems put me out of the, the game for a while. Uh, and I'm working on a book called Not Peace, But a Sword about early Christian views of uh, the military and so on. Uh, I have a book coming out probably in January called The Gospels Behind the Gospels. And uh, just one comment I'd like to make. Um, I often talk to Carol about this. I think that uh, the stuff people have figured out about why we do what we do and what is going on in society is the gnosis. If you just read uh, Berger and Luckman's The Social Construction of Reality and Irving Goffman's The Presentation of Self in Everyday Life and uh, oh, uh, Dennis de Rougemont's Love in the Western World and uh, several other ones you would have, or Freud, I mean, you would have such an insight into why 
things happen and why people do things that that most people who were at the Sukhikoi, they just they don't have occasion to learn this and, right. and they're blundering through life when there is the gnosis that would save them or at least put them ahead of the game that's the gnosis I mean, I don't know if there are spiritual beings out there, even what that would mean. But I do know that there is this advanced knowledge that 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 gives you X-ray vision into what's going on in the world and yourself. Well said, sir. Yes, most of uh, what what we think we are is only the tip of the iceberg. There's all this unconscious, ancestral, all this stuff. Same with people. Most people, as Jesus said, forgive them. They do not know what they do. That's so true. They're just going by life. So wonderful. I hope this show works. It's always awesome to have Bob at the virtual Alexandria, whether we talk music, pop culture, or religion. It's all the totally. same thing. Religion mm -hmm. is just another form of art and performance. And mm -hmm. that's why it's, it's all great. one. <laughs> <laughs> well, first I'll say, Nathan Lee, thanks for keeping us company. Um, it's truly been a pleasure. This has been one of my favorites so far. Robert, your information is profound. And I think you've made I think I'll come to find even more further how much of an impact that you've made in our culture. And I want to thank you uh, for doing that. Thank you to Miguel and Vance as well. Uh, and everyone out there in the chat, this has been, you guys have done great today. And uh, thanks for the super chats to those who did them. And thank you so much, Robert. This is really honestly wonderful. Oh, thank you. And Vance, as always, thanks for keeping us company too, oh, Moondog. Oh, where else would we, I we're be? Not we're not going to sacrifice <laughs> you. It was a joke. So, <laughs> Woo. yeah, Bob, I love being with you this morning. Uh, always fascinating to hear you. Um, Miguel knows you're one of my favorite guys. Oh, yeah. thank you so, so much. You bet. Bible geek, right. Bible geek yeah. fan here too. Oh, great. <laughs> oh, same Wait here. Wait for the next one. Yeah. All right, Bob. Well, thank you very much. We look forward to your book and get you back on. Uh, hopefully no rock star that we both like will die. So we don't have, it's nice to have you on a show, but these eulogies are hard. Like when we do Neil Peart or one of those Oof. guys, but, uh, or somebody famous, but uh, thank you very much as always. And please enjoy the rest of your week or enjoy your weekend. Yep. Mm -hmm. May the force be with you. <laughs> All right. Take care. Bye everybody. everybody. Thank you. Bye.